Let us pray together. Dear God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we're so grateful for the saving ways of Jesus and the way that he helps us to engage conflict early and soon and in a neighborly way. And for that, dear God, we need the help of your Holy Spirit, both in our understanding and the way we live it out this week. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we just heard the new revised standard version of Matthew 18. Now let's hear John Paul Lederach. Uh, his version, which he calls the normal practice version, version, <laughs> version that happens in many churches. And since he wrote it all the way back in the last century in 1999, let me update it a little bit along the way. When you hear a problem, or when you have a problem with someone in church, Start asking right around start asking around right away during the coffee hour and downstairs in potluck to see who else has the same beef. It's also very helpful to go out and seek a friend who is sure to take your side and who loves to stir the pot. After your friend agrees with you that this person really is a genuine turkey, go talk with more people to search out for a broader and broader consensus or perhaps to build one. Without actually naming the turkey in question, stoke everyone's curiosity by posting status updates on Facebook about how terribly, terribly upset and aggrieved you are for reasons that people don't know. And now is also the perfect time to ask for a confidential meeting with your church board. Let them know that you've only come to them after a great, great deal of prayer and because there is a growing and growing and growing number of people who share your concern. And I love Lederach's ending here. Truly I say to you, it's now up to your board members and your pastors to take care of the problem. Your job now is just to make sure that they do it right. Now, before we explore both the NRSV and the NPV of Matthew 8 in greater detail, I'd like for us just to remember what we've been learning so far in this series. Reconciliation, you'll remember, Ledrock is telling us, is not just some small, little, quaint part of the gospel Reconciliation is the gospel. The whole Bible 
culminates in the story of God graciously coming to our world in Jesus Christ to mend and to heal what was once torn apart. And as Colossians 1.20 tells us, God is now working in history with purpose to bring all things together. All things. All things. All churches. All conferences. All denominations. All faiths. All peoples. And all creatures. And then today, or this week in chapter 7, we learn that reconciliation is also the central mission of our church. Helping us to mend our broken relationships with God, with our neighbors, with ourselves, and with creation is the central mission of East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. And in Matthew 18 today, Jesus brings it home. He says, our reconciling work needs to start first and foremost here within our community. (laughs) Right here. And he graciously lays out for East Chestnut four simple steps to follow when someone has wronged or hurt us. First, he says, go directly to that person alone. Second, if they don't listen, take along a trusted member or two. Three, if they still don't listen, then take this matter to the whole church. And four, if they still don't listen, then treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. And as I've said before, we all know how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors, right? With continued love and hope and by sharing meals with them. Now, I believe Ladrock's special contribution in this chapter this week is to help us see that what Jesus has given us here is not a checkoff list for how to go tell off or to cut off our neighbor. That's not what this is, even though we treat it that way sometimes. Instead, what Jesus has given us here is a deeply, deeply spiritual process of moving toward conflict and moving toward our neighbor with our heart in our hand. And the goal, as we learn in verse 15 today, 
is always, always to try to regain our neighbor. Not to cut him or her off, but to regain them and to restore our relationship with them. Jesus is asking us once again to reframe conflict as the holy ground where we meet God, each other, and where we come to know our own true selves. And friends, that's why he promises to be so intimately with us as we do this incredibly hard work. This morning, I want to focus with you this morning, or this morning, I'd like to focus on Jesus' very first step. Because I believe that most church conflict can be solved and resolved right there. Verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And if the member listens to you, you have regained that neighbor. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple, just go directly. But I don't know if you're anything like me, but often I'd much rather volunteer for a root canal than to go to someone directly after they've hurt me. And maybe this is why it is called one of Jesus' least practiced teachings. So I want to mention today what I believe are three aspects or movements in this very first step. The first one is do your inner work. The second one is then, and only then, go soon to your neighbor. And finally, third, go alone. So first, do your own inner work. And why is this? Because our core motivation needs to be regaining our, en- our enemy. I said it. Whoops. And making them our neighbor again. Our core motivation needs to be to speak the truth to them in love rather than just telling them off. And for this reason, I find it helpful at this stage to practice what I call CPR. C is for cool down. Go for a walk. Go take a bike ride. Go rake your leaves. Anybody have a lot of those these days? What's that? Rake your neighbor's leaves, yes. That might be the source of the problem. P is for prayer. Ask for the mind of Christ in this situation. And this one is really difficult. Begin to pray for that person. 
even if the only thing you can do is just simply to lift them to God. R, then, is for reflection. First of all, about ourselves. Why is this person making us so angry? So terribly anxious or fearful? What new thing might God be inviting us to learn? And am I functioning right now in my false self or in my true self centered in Christ? That's a key question. This R is also for reflection about our neighbor. Why are they doing what they're doing? And what do they need? The interesting thing is that sometimes doing our inner work in this first movement right here, when we do this inner work, we discover, my goodness, this is all much more about me than it is about my neighbor. And the good news here is that if it's all about you, you don't have to go to your neighbor, do you? Let me also say that at this stage, when feelings are especially intense, especially confusing, you know, you're in the midst of this, you can't make heads or tails about why you're so upset. It can be very helpful to go confidentially to talk with a trusted friend or mentor or pastor. Not to take your side. Not to stir the pot. But to help us do our work. So if we still feel the need to speak with our neighbor, then this brings us to our second movement, go soon. And notice that I didn't say, go right away. (laughs) Have you ever gone right away? and you're being faithful to the letter of what Jesus says, and it's a disaster because you haven't done your own inner work first, and it creates a worse situation. I have. But once we've done our inner work, don't dither, don't dawdle, don't delay, and don't dally. Get on with it. And why is this? so that we don't get in the vicious cycle of demonizing our neighbor. Look at the diagram in your bulletin insert. Look at the event above with all of its complexity. And then look down all the way to the bam, pow, woo, the way we tell the story later on. Over time, unresolved anger can lead us to take the original complicated event, 
remove all of the grades. Rearrange the chronology and then tell the story as if we're an angel of light and our neighbor is Darth Vader, Voldemort, and the Wicked Witch of the West all rolled into one. And here's the crux of this, friends. After you have started telling this story below, reconciliation becomes infinitely more difficult, doesn't it? Because our commitment to our version, my version of the story, see the bottom of the diagram, can even become part of your identity. It's who you are. And this is especially common among groups of people. Examples of this abound in, the history, in history and in the arts. The Hatfields and the McCoys the Israelis and the Palestinians, Montagues and the Capulets, the Jets and the Sharks, right? This now brings us to our third movement, Go Alone. Go Alone. Why? so that other folks here at East Chestnut aren't needlessly pulled in. You know, reconciliation becomes infinitely more challenging when the person you're going to already feels like you have humiliated them in the eyes of others. Ever been in that situation? Reconciliation becomes much more difficult. And so this is the reason that we go directly alone. And one of the beautiful things that can happen when we go to our neighbor alone is that we discover that their hurting us was not at all intentional. It often is not. Or we discover that they are carrying some huge burden right now that made their edges very sharp. And sometimes we discover that they have a truth. They have a truth. Remember last week? That ends up transforming our own understanding. At my last church, I had a colleague who whenever we would complain to him about someone else would say to us, would say to me right away, Todd, have you talked with this person directly about this? And then if we had a really good reason for not doing that, he'd say, how can I help you to have that conversation? This was so annoying. (laughs) He would not take our side. He took no joy in stirring the pot. But you know what? Through him, God made us a healthier church. John Stolzfus, he's over at CD now, campus minister, he was a gossip buster. You knew that if you took gossip to him or your complaints, they'd stop right then and there. 
Friends, every time we go to someone directly at East Chestnut, we are building up the body of Christ and helping us to be a community where our small hurts and disagreements and misunderstandings never have the chance of growing into full-blown big conflicts. And the interesting thing is every time you go to someone directly, if we have a culture of doing this, you're never going to hear about it. It just happens. Let me mention two important exceptions to going alone. The first is if you do not feel safe with a person who has hurt you. Don't go alone then. The second is if there's a power imbalance between you. You may not want to go alone either. In these two situations, it's appropriate for you instead to go directly to another trusted, respected church member to discern what needs to happen next. So it means that you, it doesn't mean you don't do anything, but you seek trusted help. Let me share a reconciliation story with you from my own life, our own lives. During our first year in Beijing in 1992, I taught an English conversation class for Chinese college students. And one morning, things were very dull, and the students were sleepy, and so I decided to ask a very provocative question in order to get conversation going. Well, it worked. Uh, But what happened, actually, is two students immediately jumped up. They were the two Communist Party student leaders, and they yelled at me, that I had just insulted their nation. And then, believe it or not, right after this, the school bell rang. (laughs) And all the students left. So, you know, some of you are teachers. You know what, you know, it's one of those, what do I do now? And having just arrived at this Chinese campus to be a Christian presence, what a disaster this was. What a disastrous beginning. And it was one of my first experiences of beginning to pray about something. I'd never done that before. But I was desperate. And so I said, God, help And a very simple question or a very simple answer began pressing upon me. Invite those two over for tea. And so eventually, I think the next day, I found them. I invited them over for tea, which alone was quite shocking to them. But they came over. And I asked for their forgiveness, and they forgave me. 
And it was uh, an incredibly liberating experience for me. It showed me that perhaps the reason that Danette and I were in China with our students wasn't to show them what perfect followers of Jesus we were, but for us to experience together the beauty of what happens when we give and receive forgiveness and when grace abounds. This brings us to Jesus' amazingly good news at the end of our reading today in verse 20. He promises us that wherever two or three gather together in his name, not just to have a prayer meeting or a Bible study, but to do the hard work of reconciliation. That's the context here. Whenever we gather together to do this hard, challenging work, that's especially when he's going to be with us. Isn't that context powerful? And I discovered that in China. Those two students actually became our friends, and we started playing ping pong together every week. And for me, their forgiveness was, that was the kingdom of God. That was the kingdom of God. And I also experienced how our Lord bonds us in a special, special way with those with whom we've been reconciled. Remember that story I shared with you about Keith Weaver? It's a mysterious thing. Our Lord comes into these conflict situations and bonds us for life with the person we used to hate. This is one of the ways that Jesus saves us. Saves us from being an unloving, unattractive, dysfunctional church. And saves us to become a church that shows the world how to deal with conflict early and directly and kindly and lovingly while we're also learning and growing along the way. In the silence now, let's let the Spirit of Jesus draw us to one of the experiments printed in our bulletin. <clears throat> 